Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, September 17th, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster only working from my home in New York. And Taylor, you know what we've seen a lot of lately? What's that? Awful games that have turned into great games. Like on Sunday Night Baseball, uh, I don't know how much of it you watched last weekend. We had Yankees and we had Mets, and the first five and a half innings were god awful. They yep. took two hours or three hours to play five and a half innings, and you're just like, oh my god! At some point, can we move this game along? Can we get some action? And then while well, we had the you know the the Francisco Lindor show with the whistling from the dugout and you know the benches emptying, and it got really interesting. And then last night, a similar situation with Phillies and Cubs. I was watching that game early. Uh, and I was uh, sending direct messages back and forth with Tom McCarthy, the announcer from the Phillies, because it was awful. It was awful mm-hmm. early. The Phillies fell behind 7 nothing. I saw that because I, I was flipping through, and it was on MLB TV for a bit, and I saw it was 7 nothing, and I was like, oh, this game must be almost over. No, it was very early on. I saw my friend Kevin Agandhi tweeting very upsetly, saying, well, at least the bullpen's not going to blow it tonight, and... Uh, Wow, things turned around there. Same thing, but uh, I'm, I watched the Sunday night baseball game as well. And no offense to you, but I was actually like maybe taking a little nap during the first part of that. And I kept waking up. And being like, <laughs> this game isn't, it's not, we're not in like the seventh inning yet. What's going on here? I know it was a slog. That Philly game, I think the first four innings took two plus hours to play. Oof. But you know what? It, it turned dramatically. Here's what happened for the Cubs to take a 7-0 lead. That's drilled to left field, going back, McCutcheon looking out of here. <laughs> oh, that ball had a chance and it got out. And Matt Duffy, his fifth of the year, and it's now 7 nothing. But then the Phillies would come all the way back. They tie the score at 7 all. Bryce Harper, bottom of the sixth. Swung on, slap, down the left field line, it's in for a base hit. Around third, Odubel Herrera, he's coming home to score. Segura into third, Harper into second, he's put the Phillies on top. 8-7 here at the bottom of the sixth on the RBI double by Bryce Harper. Scott Fransky, Sports Radio 94 WIP, and it was left to Bryce Harper to put the punctuation mark on this game. The pit swung on, belted, way back to right, forget about it. Second deck for Bryce Harper. Three-run home run. And it was a fun trip around the bases. He looked into the dugout. Uh, His teammates were excited. Turned out to be a great night for the Phillies on a night that looked early on to be an absolute disaster. They pick up a half game on the Atlanta Braves, whose game uh, against the Colorado Rockies was rained out. We actually had Brian Sinker on the podcast yesterday early in the morning. And I asked him because he referenced the the heavy rain. He goes, uh, I asked him if uh, he thought they would play. And he goes, I don't know. And it turned out even after uh, the rain stopped that they determined that the field was unplayable. It's unknown whether or not the Braves and Rockies will make up this game that Monday after the end of the regular season, it comes down to whether or not it uh, is a factor in any of the races going down the stretch. The Yankees faced the Orioles last night. The Yankees started the day in a three-way tie for the two wildcard spots in the American League. They were one strike away from beating Baltimore, and this happened. Holmes comes set, two balls, two strikes, two outs. Here's the pitch. To the backstop, it ricochets home. Sanchez flips, and Gutierrez is safe. It got past the catcher. The flip was not in time. Gutierrez scores, and we are tied at two in the bottom of the ninth. That from 105.7, the fan. They went in the 10th inning. Austin Hayes came to the plate. And it's hit on the ground, and it's through the left side for a base hit. Jones down from third. He scores. Orioles win it 3-2 to two in 10 innings, and it is a mob scene behind first base as the Orioles douse Austin Hayes. He gives the Orioles a walk-off winner in 10. For the Orioles' revenge, for the Yankees, a missed opportunity, not only in this game, but also on the season. We talked about how the Tampa Bay Rays went 18-1 and 
against Baltimore during the course of the regular season. Well, the Yankees went 11 and eight. They could have been a half game ahead of Boston, ahead of Toronto at the end of play last night. Instead, they're a half game behind Oakland trying to hang on in the wild card race, faced the Royals yesterday. The biggest moment of the game actually came from member of the Royals. Blackburn comes set at the belt, brings it home, and a high fly ball, deep left center. The wind will push it to the wall and gone. Salvador Perez, home run number 45. And no pun intended, but that is a benchmark home run because he was one game behind Hall of Fame catcher Johnny Bench for most home runs in a season. Denny Matthews, that call, one home run behind Johnny Bench. He's now tied with Johnny Bench, 45 home runs for a catcher in a season. He obviously is going to break that record. I think the question now is whether or not he's going to reach 50 homers. Josh Harrison got a big hit for Oakland in the top of the ninth. Drilled the right center. It's deep. Oliveras back at the track. It's over his head and short hopping the wall. Kemp is around third and he's going to score. Harrison has another hit. It's a double to right center and the A's get a cushion in the ninth and they take a 6-2 lead. On their way to a 7-2 win. That was Ken Korak on the A's cast. First pitch is part of ESPN Nation brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Shohei Otani has a sore arm, so it's very unlikely he's going to pitch again this season. That announcement was made by Angels manager Joe Madden yesterday. Astros left-hander Framber Valdez was scratched from Thursday's start with a cut on the finger. Of course, the question now for him, the key question is, what's his status going to be going into the postseason, assuming that the Astros wind up winning the American League West? Reds and Pirates played an afternoon game. The two teams were tied 0-0, top of the seventh inning, until this happened. Here's Cabrera looking for his first Reds hit and a fly ball deep left center field, and he crushed it. Going back to get it is Gamble. He'll make the catch. That will be a sacrifice fly. DeShield scores, and the Reds lead one to nothing. Jeff Brantley, the Cowboy on 700 WLW, that one run would hold up as the Reds salvage the final game of that series as they uh, tried to win an American National League wildcard spot. Padres and Giants, and the Padres jumped on San Francisco early. Fernando hammers this one deep down the left field line. It is gone. A home run for Tatis just over the 339 marker, a line shot to left field. And the Padres double their lead here in the third inning, number 39 for Fernando Tatis Jr. 97.3, the fan. The Padres win the game 7-4, and they remain in the thick of the National League wildcard race. It's something we're going to be talking a lot about this weekend. On Sunday Night Baseball, we've got the Phillies and Mets fighting their uh, for their respective playoff lives. Taylor, what do you got? Buster. Over the weekend, if you're not watching baseball, you're not watching college football, don't forget Once Upon a Time in Queens about the 86 Mets is on ESPN+. And starting next week, Buster, very exciting. We're going to have more NHL coverage at the network. And, of course, there will be an NHL podcast. It's called In the Crease. The ESPN NHL podcast will lead with experts on the sport, including Hall of Fame sportscaster Linda Cohn and national NHL reporter Emily Kaplan. That's going to come out every Monday and Thursday. Cohn and Kaplan will bring fans their insider perspectives, uh, reporting, reactions, and analysis to the latest breaking headlines and under-the-radar stories both on and off the ice. This duo will also be regularly joined by ESPN's lineup of NHL voices, current NHL stars, and legends of the game. That's the In the Crease podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcast. And Christina Buswell, who has filled in for me on the show, she was at Media Days for the NHL. And I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed yesterday. The Caps posted a picture of, of them doing their podcast. I was like, I know them. So check out In the Crease wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? 
Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All aboard. It's the Rabbi Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, host of baseball tonight, play by play man for ESPN. Where's the Rabbit Train today, Carl? Rabbit Train in Connecticut, and looking forward to a uh, big, big week coming up. Uh, the week of September, we got uh, three seven o'clock games. We got a 10 o'clock game the following week. We just did a Dodger game. Looks like they're going to take over the NL West at some point. So the, the Rabbit Train's everywhere on Sunday. The way Bryce Harper's playing, looking forward to a Mets-Phillies uh, baseball tonight, Sunday night countdown into your game. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun. You know, these last weeks are great because you got teams clinching and then you got a bunch of teams going down Bitter Boulevard. Uh, and, you know, they have to decide, <laughs> begin the conversation about what's going to happen in, in 2022. Uh, I've got a big buffet for you today. Uh, I got five items and you can you know, take them in any order you want. Number one, the Phillies come back last night. You referenced Bryce Harper, how great he's been. Number two, the Yankees and their biggest regret of 2021. Uh, number three, we're going to play again. Who wants to be a billionaire? Because it feels like uh, every Thursday, Steve Cohen does something that puts you in a position that I got to ask you about, you know, being him and being a billionaire. Uh, number four, I'm going to ask you about the American League MVP. Uh, and number five, the match game that we played yesterday first with Sarah Langs, where we match up the premier free agent shortstops with the teams that you think they're going to land with. So you can work from the buffet in any order you want. What do you want to go? Wow. Wow. Um, since we, by the way, is Bitter Boulevard the same thing as Reality Road? Is that like the same concept? No, it's worse. Bitter Boulevard. It's actually my college roommate, Dan Bean, coined that phrase, you know, with a a guy who walks up to a girl, asks her out, gets rejected, and he'd go, hey, and he went down Bitter Boulevard at that point. That's kind of like teams (laughs) like at this stage in the season, Carl. Yes, I I love that. Bitter Boulevard um, at the intersection of Reality Road, as you said, because you have to then consider what happens next year. But I I love the Bitter Boulevard. Uh, Let's go with uh, who wants to be a billionaire since we've crushed that game. Every time we've played it. All right. So yesterday, Mike Puma of the New York Post, the esteemed Mike Puma, came out with an article in which he wrote about uh, some of the challenges going forward and about how baseball executives with other teams are looking at Steve Cohen's activity on social media with some skepticism. And they, as Mike wrote, the same thing that we talked about on the podcast repeatedly that I wrote a couple weeks ago, that it probably potentially could chase away folks who might otherwise be interested in working for the Mets. Well, Steve Cohen immediately reacts to that criticism by going on social media, trying to out the source of the story, (laughs) offering fans if they could correctly identify the source. I don't know how they could actually do that unless they talk to Mike Puma. Uh, But he sends out about five tweets along those lines, therefore reinforcing everything that Mike Puma wrote about in the article. Carl, if you're Steve Cohen, how are you handling this moment? Um, I get, you know what, if I'm a billionaire, uh, I tend not to care, obviously, what anybody thinks. I've, I've worked my way into this status of who gives a, you know what? So I don't think that anything that's been discussed or written seems to have any impact on Steve Cohen's behavior. Now, I think we've talked about Mark Cuban before. And he was a a very outspoken owner who, to some extent, seems to have come back to earth with regards to that stuff. Um, Ballmer with the Clippers was another guy who seems to have calmed down. I'm not sure Steve Cohen's ever going to calm down, but I would negotiate with whoever. And I know we talked about Theo Epstein. Part of the negotiation from Theo Epstein, who's not yet a billionaire, at least to my knowledge, would be, I cannot take the job if you're going to continue on social media, Twitter in particular, and manipulate things through the media. I I would think that that would be a deal breaker. And Steve Cohen may be of the mind, then we'll do without whoever that person is. 
because this is my right and I've earned it and it's my team. It's like Shit's Creek. I own the town, but there's a mayor in town who in the beginning of that entire show tries to run the town. The GM, whoever that may be, is going to try to establish his own rules and ultimately the owner may have the final say. And I just don't get the impression you know, that Steve Cohen cares enough where this is just a big, giant, very expensive game that he's playing. And he's always, or most of the time, he's won. And maybe he believes he'll win again. So that would be that would be my take on who wants to be a billionaire this week. I don't know that we're going to be able to take the toy away from the owner because he is the owner. No. Uh, the one thing I would say, if he asked me, you know, my opinion privately, I'd tell him, uh, first off, yes, as Mike wrote, as we talked about before, there is a concern about this. And I know this because I get asked the question by you know executives who he might want to hire. Hey, what do you hear about working for Steve Cohen? What do you hear about his activity on social media? It is highly unusual. And he should also know that this era's group of executives uh, who are so invested in analytics, you know why? Because they want to increase probability. They want increased certainty. And now you have an owner using social media in a way nobody has seen before. And so they're evaluating that, Uh, you know, an owner going out and giving injury updates during the course of the day. That's all part of the evaluation process, Carl, if you're interested in working for the Mets. I would agree. I do think, though, that what the future or current team general manager slash president of baseball operations has in common with Steve Cohen are the analytics, are the probabilities. I mean, that that's how he makes a living. Yep. You know, that's how he's exactly. so successful. They have that in common. Um, the other part of it, I, I don't necessarily, and I know that the, there is some concentric circles here, but I don't necessarily associate his use of social media with exclusively what it's like to work for Steve Cohen. He may be the greatest guy in the world to work for, but there's a habit of social media that may drive you crazy. It may be an impediment to you considering the job. But I don't know that that's a way that I would define him without knowing what a what type of person he is to work for. So I guess the example would be George Steinbrenner. There, there are legendary stories about his generosity, while at the same time, there are legendary stories and examples of, of his ability to get along to you know his, his ability to critique his ability to be boorish so it, it's a uh, you, you may be able to have have both it just may not be acceptable to the to the next person i totally agree with that i think you're exactly right i think it's important uh you know for all of these people to go and actually have conversations with them and find out for themselves and get a feel for them because i don't really know them I can't tell you. I just know the stories that I'm hearing from people within the organization. All right. The rest of the buffet table. You got Phillies, Yankees, AL MVP, or do you want to play the match game? I'm going to save the match game because it just sounds more enjoyable than some of the other subjects. Um, Let's go with AL MVP. I think this is an interesting one. Yeah. Shohei Otani, we find out yesterday from Joe Madden that he's now being shut down as a pitcher, it looks like, because he's got a sore arm. Uh Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going off. He's the best hitter in the American League, maybe the best hitter in all of baseball. At this stage, who you got for AL MVP? So at this stage, I have and I have Vladimir Guerrero winning the MVP. And this comes rife with all sorts of, you know, bullet holes that people can shoot through it. But I, I do think that the way we have generally seen voting go there is a connection and correlation to most recent performance and most recent performance certainly suggests that Vlad Guerrero is the guy that is carrying the Blue Jays he's got a whole hell of a lot of help Um, and I don't think that that the win-loss record of the organizations is is a fair way to assess the guy that's been the best even though he's carrying the team He's got Semyon, he's got Springer, he's got Ryu, he's got Ray. He's got a lot more help than Otani does. I think if Shohei Otani had the first half that he had this year in the second half, 
we wouldn't have any conversation about this. It would be so apparent to people and such a hammer over the head. Do you realize no one's ever done this before? Are you aware? You would constantly be hearing about it, seeing it, reading about it online, following it on social media. It's died down. Now he's not going to pitch. So I do think there is a component of that. And I think by the statistical measures offensively, Vlad's better. Vlad doesn't pitch. And this brings up the question that I understand you fall on both sides. Do you, in a sense, credit Otani because he can pitch? And is that discrediting Vlad because he doesn't pitch? And how much has Vlad improved as a fielder? How much has his base running improved? I, I think Vlad Guerrero, to me, is the MVP, and it encompasses all of those things. I have no argument with people who say that Otani and what he did, and I certainly was – I picked Otani at the beginning of the year because of his ability to do both, and then he went out in the first half and blew my expectations away. Like, not only can he do both, he's great at both. And it may very well be that 162 – Plus the all-star festivities and all the attention has just turned him into sea glass. He, he, the edges have been softened. It's not as blow your mind anymore, and that may not be fair to him. And lastly, Salvador Perez, I think, is going to finish in the top three. We had this conversation on, on baseball tonight, Sunday night countdown with Tim and Edward. I, I'm sorry, on our game the other night. I think Salvador Perez is number three. Uh, they, they brought up Marcus Simeon and others, but I think Sal is, is number three. So Otani, if in fact he's done as a pitcher this year, finishes 92 record, 3.36 ERA, uh, 136 strikeouts in 115 innings. Uh, currently, he's got 44 homers, 94 RBI. Um, I would pick Otani just because the the pure production that he's bringing. Uh, but your point is well taken, and a great example of that you're going to remember this in 2015. Um, Zach Ranke and Clayton Kershaw were unbelievable, but then Jake Area had the greatest second half of any starting pitcher we've ever seen, and Jake Arrieta won the Cy Young Award. So you're right, finishing strong could be a difference maker. All right, Phillies, Yankees, match game. Phillies. All right, so that was <laughs> – I mean, you know John Cruck well from all the years he worked with us at ESPN – the first yep. uh, four innings took uh, four – it felt like about four hours to play. They were down 7-0. Krucky actually rightly predicted a hit-by-pitch by a Phillies reliever. They're having an awful night, and then they come all the way back to beat the uh, yeah. the Cubs. Uh, does this launch the Phillies <clears throat> into the National League race? Does that begin to distinguish Bryce Harper in the MVP conversation in the National League? Uh, no and yes. Uh, there's been nothing about any of the teams in any of the wild card races that indicate anything is going to launch them anywhere. Um, it's, there, there's just no continuation of what you would perceive to be a launch. And most of these teams have had these incredible come-from-behind wins. They've, uh, they've gotten lucky. The carryover and... We all know the old saying in baseball, momentum's the next day starting pitcher. Sometimes it's not even that. So I don't think it launches them anywhere. I think it keeps them very much in the conversation. I didn't rule them out. They have a big series with the Mets coming up. And nothing about the teams ahead of them, to me, is indicative of, well, no question, they win the wild card. Nothing about the Padres says they are the number one wild card team, other than now they've just won two big games against the Giants. And if somebody said, does that launch them anywhere? Again, the answer is no. They don't use that as launching. Yes, Bryce Harper's very much in the MVP race. He's uh, And the great part about listening and watching the game last night with Kruk was he got off not necessarily on Bryce Harper's three-run home run. He got off on all the balls going the other way off left-handed hitters. He loved that stuff. And uh, whether it was Didi or, or anyone else hitting the ball as a left handed hitter into left field, Harper included, loved that stuff. So Bryce Harper's been in the MVP conversation. He does seem to have taken it to uh, even another level. And when you can combine the on-base percentage that we're seeing last night, the home run, the power, um, yeah, I, I, I haven't – I think he's very much in the Tatis conversation. Um, to go quickly back to Otani, 
is Otani. Like, Otani's not the best pitcher in the American League. He's one of top ten. Is he the best hitter in the American League? He's one of top ten. Do, do those two numbers equal the MVP in the league? And you can argue that Vlad Guerrero is the best offensive player in the American League. Just, just a, a brief aside, I stepped back into my first choice. Okay, absolutely. Uh, how in the world did the Yankees lose 8 of 19 to the Baltimore Orioles this year, including last night's heartbreaking defeat when they were run one strike away from winning, but their bullpen melted down again? So I listened to the whole game. Uh, well, I listened to like innings 6 through 9. I was on a long car ride last night. And when you listen to it, you know, it's very different than seeing it because because you're relying on the radio broadcast to paint a picture. And the first pass ball wild pitch, wild pitch it was, that got by Sanchez in the ninth, which allowed the runner to go to second. The first one, you're like, this is a disaster. Like, uh, now, now all of a sudden, as I'm driving down Route 9 in Connecticut, and I'm hearing how wet the field is and how Chapman's not available... Rather than another wild pitch go over Sanchez's head, I just assumed that with the tying run at third base, we would have one go in the dirt and squirt by because the, the dirt or the ground is messy. And, and lo and behold, it was another wild pitch, and it was high. And that was the image, knowing the struggles, albeit improved, play of Gary Sanchez like this is going to end so badly can't grip the baseball because it's wet the field is a disaster he just had one go by him it's going to happen again and it did and then I was home in time to watch the 10th inning and when you don't score at the top of the 10th you're dead you're 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 so more than likely going to lose the game and that's what happened so it was one of those things where you know horror movies like to let you know without letting you know exactly what's going to happen, what is going to happen. Driving in the car, listening to that, it was as if you could see the end of the movie 15 minutes before the movie ended, and it played out that way. That's And that was, that was devastating. But again, <laughs> devastating in the moment. Does that mean this is sort of the launching pad to destruction for the Yankees? Hardly. I don't look at it that way. Uh, I would say this, if the Yankees don't make the playoffs, they will lead the caravan down Bitter Boulevard at the end of the regular season. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Because of how this year has played out for sure, and they have never met expectations. They've been a lot of confusion within that organization. All right, let's uh, finish up with the match game with the shortstops. The way this is going to work, Carl, is I'm going to uh, give you a name of one of the five premier uh, middle infielders who are going to be free agents, and I want you to match them with the team. Uh, yesterday, when I talked about Marcus Simeon, you know, I, I had him going to Toronto, Trevor Story. I got him going to the Texas Rangers, Javier Baez, back to the Cubs. Corey Seager, I got going to the Yankees. And I think I settled on Correa, uh, Carlos Correa with the San Francisco Giants. Okay, for you, Corey Seager, where you got him landing? Texas Rangers. I think I think Corey heads back. I think he, I, I, I don't think that the Dodgers and we had this conversation when we did the Dodger game. I don't see how Trey Turner doesn't end up back at shortstop, given that he's got the extra year, and they're they're not going to invest, to me, in a shortstop when they have a great shortstop. So I think Seager leaves and goes to Texas. Okay. The one common thread for both of us is we both think the Texas Rangers are going to be aggressive this, yes. uh, this winter in the shortstop market. Marcus Simeon. The part of me that wants to see Marcus Simeon go back, I think Marcus Simeon ends up in San Francisco. I think he's a West Coast guy. Um, I think you could probably make a better deal with Marcus Simeon. Um, we obviously had great success in Oakland. I think he goes to San Francisco. Okay. With Evan Longoria you know, nearing the end of his run, certainly there's going to be money available with all the – you know, expiring contracts of Brandon Belt, uh, Buster Posey, just one year left. So the Giants are going to have a ton of payroll flexibility, uh, no doubt about it. Trevor Story. 
I think Trevor Story is the guy that ends up in New York. Um, I think that there's a consistency, a stability, a reliability that the Yankees would find appealing in that shortstop position if for no other reason that perhaps they can have, an, have, have sort of a Derek Jeter light guy. He does, there's nothing that Story does that, that I think puts him in the same category as Correa at his best or a seeker at his best, but I'm not sure we need somebody like that, and I think Story is a really good fit in New York, and I think there's just a, a steadiness about that position that they need. It, it's kind of like, you know, for years when Theo Epstein ran the Red Sox, shortstop became Achilles' heel. Um, I think we're, we're starting to see that again in New York, and I think Story's a really good answer to that stability and he's generally healthy and stays on the field. Javier Baez. It's a weird one. I, I, there's, there's a part of me, there's a part of me that sees Javier Baez. I'm going to say strangely in Boston. I, I think, and it's not at shortstop. It's at second base. And I think the relationship with Alex Cora may play a role there. Um, I think he could end up at second base. Part of me thinks he could end up staying right where he is. Uh, I don't know what the I don't know where his seal I don't know what his pay is going to be. I don't know that I would consider him with Correa on a short-term deal or Seager on a long-term deal. I think he's going to go to a place where he may not end up playing shortstop. And I I, I think the Red Sox may regret the lack of move they made. I know they need pitching, but that wouldn't that move wouldn't shock me. But it would be it would be a surprise. So I'm going to say Boston and Carlos Correa. Uh, there's a part of me that there's a part of me that likes that Carlos Correa should be in a in a large market uh, because I think Carlos Correa, as we saw last postseason, plays incredibly well in a big market. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure. What do you, I think the Angels are going to do more. I think they have to do more. I think they, they've taken a huge step with Otani. And I think Los Angeles is a good market for them. Uh, I'm going to say the Angels. I think I'm looking more at teams and teams that are close and need to make splashes. And while Otani was a splash... It's just another move. If you have Rendon, Correa, let's assume Trout comes back, and Otani, like the Angels at some point have to win. And they have to win with Trout. And I think you have to keep trying, and you got to keep trying big. But you may be able to get Correa on a two- or three-year deal for a lot of money as opposed to a Seager five- or six-year deal. All right, sir. I am going to be curious to see if the Yankees wind up targeting two of these guys because it does feel like this winner could be a, a, a year of great, an offseason of great payroll flexibility, much like they had in 2008, 2009, when they went nuts and signed Mark Teixeira, CC Sabathia, and others. We'll, uh, we'll see so, that. Well, All right. Quick question. Where, where do you think Anthony Rizzo ends up next year? Oh, boy. Um, I, I don't know, because I'd say this. You know, uh, he, in the end, he will have cost himself a lot of money uh, based on what happened in the spring. Uh you know, the, the Cubs offered him $70 million. His camp reportedly was looking for $120 million. Carl, I, I don't think he has anything close to that kind of value now with any team, um, you know, what, he, what, the, what the Cubs offered. As a left-handed hitting first baseman is 32 years old, uh, he's not really any different at this point in the free agent market than Mitch Moreland. Oh, I think he's much better than Mitch Moreland. Uh, I'm just saying, if you look I, at the I, offensive I don't, numbers, I don't think that's fair. Uh, if I look, if I'm watching... Here's what I'm telling you. If I'm watching the Yankees play, there's like one guy on that team who I can trust and feel really good about, along with the regulars like LeMayhew, feel great about. Uh, it's, it's Anthony Rizzo. Like that, that, that piece of the puzzle solved a lot for me. It improved the defense. It is a guy that can hit the ball out of the ballpark, especially to right. He's as good of to me. He's a great field. Like I think you, I I leave him there, and I give him two or three years. I hope he learned, or his people learned, that 120 million 
let alone 70, is not in the cards. But we give you 45 in, in two or three years, 50 in three years. There's something about playing for the Dodgers and playing for the Yankees where I think at that stage and age, you'll take, you'll take less, you'll be a multi, 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 multi-millionaire, and you're going to have a chance to win. So I, I was just yeah. curious what you thought about that. Yeah, he's got uh, an OPS, uh, an OPS since he joined the Yankees of 780, uh, and he's 32. And you know how the industry in recent years has just been brutal for those corner slugger types, uh, you know, the corner infielders. And you're right, the defense is what separate, separates him, but the industry generally has had a lot. I, I agree with you. I think that he winds up with like a two- or three-year deal, that sort of thing. But the idea of a 5 for 70, I I just don't think at this point he's going to be able to get that. Yeah, I, I agree. And if the Yankees maybe have learned one thing here, it's it's sort of, you know, power hitting slower guys. They have a lot of them. You know, he, he would be another one of those. But I think the yeah. instincts and the baseball stuff with him are so they're so high. It's uh, gosh, I, I'd love him to be a first baseman on a playoff contending team. I think he's a difference maker that way. He, how many times have we seen a team make a mistake in the field or a first baseman not be able to scoop a baseball or not be able to get a bunt down? He'll crash on a defensive bunt, then he'll make that throw to third. Nobody else will do that. Those are the things that end up winning the series as opposed to the day-to-day, my God, he's hitting only 261 you know, with 18 homers, whatever. I, I think he's really valuable that way to a contending team. Heck, he could end up in Boston for all I know. All right, Ravi. Good to talk with you. See you, bud. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing this week? Doing well, Buster. The middle of September. The leaves are changing. Postseason baseball soon to be upon us. How are you? I'm doing great. I love the early fall when you wake up in the morning and it feels chilly because I love the cold. Uh, and, you know, to have it at 45, 50 degrees in the mornings and then at night it gets dark a little bit earlier at night. Uh, the games have some intensity. So this is, a, you know, a fun time of the year for sure. Uh, I am, before uh, we get to this yeah. week's quiz, let's get to this week's Forgotten Franchise. 
All right. So, Buster, today we're going to we're going to take a look at St. Louis's great Negro Leagues franchise, the St. Louis Stars. This team originated as the St. Louis Giants in 1909. They became known as Stars in 1922. This this is where they hit their stride. After experiencing their only losing season in 1923, the team went on a tear, winning three pennants in four seasons, 1928, 30, and 31. The Stars played at 10,000-seat Stars Park, located at the corner of Market Street and Compton Avenue. It was the first professional baseball stadium owned exclusively by African Americans, and it was a rare example of a ballpark that was purpose-built for Negro Leagues play. Stars Park featured a Fenway-esque 35-foot-tall left-field wall, which was only 269 feet from home plate, a workaround necessitated by the fact that a trolley car building formed the left field boundary. The ballpark no longer longer exists, but the field is still there, and it now serves as home to Harris-Stowe State University's baseball team. How cool is that? James Cool Papa Bell was arguably the star's greatest star. Bell's speed was the stuff of legend, summed up by Satchel Paige's famous observation that Bell was so fast he could turn off the light and be under the covers before the room got dark. Bell is enshrined in Cooperstown along with four other stars, Oscar Charleston, Mule Suttles, Biz Mackey, and Willie Wells. Wells, a five-tool shortstop whose nickname was El Diablo, is recognized as a baseball headwear pioneer buster. Tired of dodging beanballs, he batted with a miner's hard hat with a gas jet removed. This was an early forerunner of today's batting helmet. The 1928 Stars won a classic championship series against the Chicago American Giants, defeating them five games to four with Wells slamming six home runs over the final five games of the series. This club's final championship occurred in 1931, It coincided with the demise of the Negro National League, which was founded by Rube Foster in 1920, and the Stars, along with the league, disbanded after the 1931 season. But, but today, Buster, they are this week's forgotten franchise. Very nice. And what jumped out at me, and I love, I love, uh, as you talk through these, I love, uh, you know, seizing onto something and grabbing one thing and then following up on it, 269 feet for that outfield (laughs) wall. And when you said that, I was thinking, boy, I wonder if that's the that's one of the lowest numbers for sure that I've ever read. Um, I looked it up at the polo grounds. It's, it's of course for you too. I'm sure it was uh, the first uh, you know place that would jump up. You're like that was short, 258 feet down the right field line. It was about 10 feet further down the left field line. Uh, in current ballparks, the pesky pole, 302 feet at Fenway Park. From home plate to right field, of course, it goes immediately shoots out uh, into the into uh, the right field corner at Fenway. But two hundred and sixty nine—that's one of the smallest ones I've ever seen. Yeah, can you imagine? And uh, you know, we've we've seen footage of Bobby Thompson's famous home run in the nineteen fifty one postseason series uh, against the Giants against the Dodgers. You know, that thing barely scrapes in there. Um, I did see something the other day on Twitter about Nashville's minor league Sulphur Dell ballpark, oh, yeah. which I'm sure you're familiar with. And it featured this incline, like uh, goats would be climbing up it. And the incline, this crazy incline compensated for the uh, lack of distance there. Not uh, sure what the numbers were, but it looked insane. And I just remembered this too. Uh, when baseball was played at the LA Coliseum, when the Dodgers were waiting for Dodger Stadium to be built, left field, 250 feet <laughs> down the left field line. Because baseball didn't fit, of course, inside the Coliseum. But what they did have are those massive netting, that those massive nets above the ball, uh, above the field. Yeah. Do you remember, uh, I think about 2007 or 2008, the Dodgers and Red Sox played an exhibition game at the Coliseum prior to the start of the regular season. And, uh, you know, they recreated that setup with the net and uh, just in real time in contemporary, you know, not black and white photos from a time before you and I were born. It looked crazy. Can you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just saw New York Times had a headline on one of the stories uh, about the Coliseum, 201 feet to left field, 440 feet to right. 
if you were Duke Snyder and you're moving into the Coliseum, you're thinking this park is not as friendly as Ebbett Field was. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, having read about uh, Wally Moon, the Dodgers slugger of the moment when they shifted to L.A., hitting what were called moonshots at the L.A. Coliseum. History right. is always so cool. Ballparks are cool. And in the case of the St. Louis Stars, uh, former ballpark, I love the fact that there is a uh, there's a college that plays there. So got to get out and visit these places, Buster. All right, Todd, what are you up for this week's quiz? All right, boys, here we go. This is the only one of the current MLB franchises, 30 of them, that has never had a player lead the league in home runs. Is it the Mets, the Diamondbacks, the Angels, or the Astros? This team has never, ever had a team or had a player lead its league in home runs. Mm. Mets, Diamondbacks, Angels, Astros. I love that question. I have an instinct on it. I don't Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Overthink it. Overthink it. Okay. (laughs) What do you got, Taylor? I'm thinking Astros or Mets. Let's go. uh, Let's go Astros. Oh, boy. See, this is where I am going to overthink it. Run through my my, uh, choices again. Mets, Diamondbacks, Angels. Astros. Mets, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Mets, um, Astros. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to say Astros was was what I was thinking initially. Okay, but I also, uh, you know, I don't want to give the same answer. Um, for years, of course, they played in the Astrodome, which was not a place that, if you were a home run hitter, would have necessarily been a, a, a great place to go. Uh, the Angels have had, you know, through their history, guys like Troy Gloss who could put up some big home run numbers. I'm going to go Angels. Troy Gloss led the American League in home runs in 2000. Astros, Taylor. Yes. Oh, nice, nicely done. Woo. Well done. I think that that would be the uh, classic case of overthinking. Correct? <laughs> you, uh, you are right on brand, Buster, as always. <laughs> I'm into branding and I know what I'm talking about. And you were right nailed the player who, who led the league in home runs on the Angels. <laughs> oh, what an idiot I am. You played right. yourself. Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thank you. Bleacher tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for Glorious Friday. First up. Let's get a question from School of Sweat. School says, proof that even in 162 games, every game matters. What if the Red Sox hadn't gotten swept in the season opening series against the O's of all teams? They'd be in command right now if they don't get a wild card spot. I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. Boy, someone's not going to be happy, right? Uh, Either the fans, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Red Sox are not going to be happy about how this played out. Uh, If I were to rank the level of unhappiness, I'd go one Yankees because of the high expectations coming into the year for that team Two, the Red Sox who led the division at the trade deadline three, the Blue Jays. It's a year of progress. You'd feel good about the season, even if you don't make the playoffs. Really wish the uh, the A's and Mariners would uh, pop up there and make them all sad. But alas, Elizabeth Hart. I got something to say about that. Let's keep going on these tweets. (laughs) Uh, Ehart tweets, writes in, this one is for your noted Orioles fan. Taylor, does he have any recommendations as to whether Orioles fans would, per- the Orioles would prefer a basket of baked goods or a nice flower arrangement? Uh, Blue Jays and Red Sox fans would like to show their appreciation after that game last night. Uh, I would take baked goods personally, um, you know, peach pies, pecan pies, brownies, cookies, whatever. Buster, Buster, would you take any baked goods? I know it might be unethical. No, I'm not an Orioles fan. It's for you. I know. You know, know. it's for you. And I thought you'd go crab cakes. I mean, you know, that seemed to be a natural. If uh, you're going to get a payoff as an Orioles fan for the Orioles, you know, torpedoing the Yankees, that would seem to be a natural choice. All right. I'll share and we won't tell anyone. Let's go to Louisville Slugger at Ville Slugger 6 along the lines of the match game. Where do you think Scherzer will end up next year with Bowers off the field issues? Is it a given the Dodgers will go after him hard to stay in L.A.? I tell you what, I I do feel like that there's a good chance he's going to wind up back there. And I base that only on one thing. He looks like he's having a blast, mm. right? Uh, he he just looks like he's having a lot of fun. Uh, and he's at the stage in his baseball career where, you know, it's it, 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 he's just he's going to be looking for situations where they have a chance to win. It's not necessarily how long of a contract it's going to be. He's probably only going to get one or two years. 
Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what Clayton Kershaw does at the end of this season. Max Scherzer is a perfect fit for the Dodgers. No doubt about it. Last one for today, Mr. Jakey RS. Mr. Jakey writes in today, I want to thank you for your East Coast bias. When the Yankees had those epic bullpen collapses, it was national news, but you haven't even mentioned the heartbreaking bullpen collapse that will keep the A's out of the playoffs. Thank you again. Let's not mention it right now. No way, Buster. So, uh, you know, because there have been a few of these about the Mariners and the Athletics and the East Coast bias, and we're focusing too much on other teams. As of this morning, according to Fangraphs, Oakland's chances for making the playoffs are 4.4%, and the Mariners are 0.9%. Mm. Okay? The Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays, they're more relevant in the wildcard races, which we've talked, which is why we've talked about them more. Mr. Jakey, I love your fandom. But please, it's not based on bias. It's based on where the standings fall. Some heartbreaking uh, percentages to reveal on this Mariners podcast, Buster. So we'll. Uh, <laughs> I know. We keep on getting the Mariners. You're not talking about the Mariners enough. Not talking about the Mariners enough. 0.9%. We talk about the Mariners probably too much if I'm being objective about it. So uh, <laughs> let's let's move on and, and end the show there. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets while you're watching games over the weekend. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for today. That's it for this week. I want to thank uh, Ravi, Todd, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.